Okay, welcome everybody to today's MediaWorks Digital Masterclass. Um, this is, I think, a bit of a different one in the sense that we've actually got a, a series of masterclasses coming up over the next five weeks. Um, today we're starting with, with segmentation and targeting, followed by long and short of it, looking at long-term um, sort of gains versus short-term gains and the balance between those. Then around sort of budget setting, then for a session focused in on messaging. And then finally, um, where you are in the market is going to be the final session. So focusing really around that positioning piece. So we've run these as a series to basically to take people on a journey, I think, in terms of their understanding and take people through what we think is a, is a logical sweet sequence that people will be considering as the going to the new financial year with potential new budgets, new planning processes taking place, etc. So today is going to focus on the science of segmentation and targeting. For those that don't know, my name is David Norris, and I'm going to be the host of today's um, masterclass here at MediaWorks. Andy, come to you next. Hello, everybody. Here, uh, I'm Andy. I'm the Chief Strategy Officer here at MediaWorks. Rachel. Morning, everyone. My name is Rachel, and I'm Head of Data and Insights at MediaWorks. Harriet. Hi, I'm Harriet. I'm Paid Social and Video Consultant in the performance marketing team here at MediaWix. And then last but not least, Akib. Hi, my name is Akib. I am a senior planner um, within the brand team at MediaWix. Cool. So I think without without going into too much about sort of segmentation, its role, I think like we know that aggregating your prospective buyer types into groups of segments with common needs and traits offers markets the opportunity to better communicate the value of products, services to each group, increasing customer acquisition and market share. I think like we know all of those principles as marketers and hopefully that's nothing new to anybody listening in. I think though what we're going to do today is dig a little deeper around what the platforms allow us to do, what that actually means in today's digital first world, if you like. So I'm going to start with, I'm going to come to you, Akeem, first to say, in your opinion, sort of why is segmentation and targeting and marketing so important? Well, I think it's useful to probably kick off with um, a bit of a definition of what segmentation is, just to make sure everyone's sort of on the same page. Um, so the main objective of segmentation is obviously to split a total addressable market into smaller sets of customers who share similar identifiable uh, characteristics. Um, we've kind of looked for this, I think, masterclass, we're kind of saying segmentation and targeting, which is two of the three strategic levers we've got um, as a planner or strategist, um, the third one being positioning. Um, once we've properly segmented a market, that's when we can start making decisions on who we're going after, um, how we're going to position to those targets, and how we're going to reach them, which is where media planning comes into play. Um, I know there's been, and you know, marketers on this call will be aware that there's been so much industry debate over the last decade over the actual value of segmentation as an exercise. But I think the one key takeaway that everyone sort of agreed upon across the industry is that it is valuable in trying to recognise what the, or analyse what the um, heterogeneity within the market is. And just to give like an example of that, if you're marketing lawnmowers, it's probably useful to recognize that some people have big gardens, some people have small gardens, some people have no gardens. Now, when it comes to targeting, you know, you can bet your last dollar which one of those three segments is most likely to buy a lawnmower. Yeah, I think it's really is, uh, interesting that you kind of brought up this total addressable market size because controversially, I feel like it's a bit of a vanity metric sometimes. You know, like if you, it's nice to think that 
um, like if we thought about like um, Starbucks, like it's nice to think that every single person that drinks coffee is going to is a Starbucks customer. But like that's not the case. But if you looked at it in total addressable market, actually your opportunity is huge. Um, and I think that's why segmentation can be really important there because th- there's a difference between your total addressable market that's out on play and actually who you could generally make a dent in in your segmentations instead of those audience types. So I think that's really interesting. Um, in general, like with segmentation, targeting and positioning, like you've just mentioned, it's all around like building steps to be customer centric. It's all about putting their needs first. And like realistically, when you do ask like an owner of a business or a CEO who their target market is, they obviously want to be in front of everyone. And that's where it gets tricky because you can't. And also not everyone needs the same response from you as a business. So to say everyone is your customer is almost, it's it's really quite tricky to then do it effectively. I think your growth and the return that you'll see there will be quite low um, if you just go in with one blanket approach and try and capture the whole market. Like, yes, of course, it is nice to think that like, Everyone wants your product and that you think it can solve all of their problems. Um, but really, I think it's important to define those key groups in segmentation and then sort of hit their pain points instead. I think there is a time and a place for mass marketing. And, you know, like if we did take something generic like um, Coca-Cola, for example, like it's really hard to define that and bring that down and like, OK, well, who would be our target market for Coca-Cola? And therefore, when you're a brand name as big as that, mass market is 100% the way to go. But not every brand is in that position. We've got disruptors in the market. We've got challenger brands. And the mass market for them is not a good use of their um, budget. And so we really have to think about how we, well, well, I suppose segmentation really allows them to be a lot more effective and a lot more efficient in their marketing budget and kind of get in front of the right audiences that are actually going to drive some return for them. <clears throat> what it might help those brands do, especially the smaller brands, is kind of grow that brand loyalty, begin to retain customers, start to build a really good tight-knit community um, that are like um, revenue drivers for you and your business rather than just trying to appeal to everyone and kind of maybe doing some of it well and some of it not so well. So I think like, I think that's really important for me is like there is a time and a place for that bigger market piece, but ultimately segmentation is so important because not everyone has the ability to go mass market there and then. Yeah, and just for someone who's in the channels like physically day to day, obviously segmentation and targeting go hand in hand. Segmentation first being research-based, targeting more so being action-based. So the two together are really going to allow you to sort of understand who you consumers are making sure that you're using relevant messaging positioning your offer correctly and then ultimately by doing so you're sort of driving that increased high value sort of customer acquisition making sure like Rachel said you are getting that consumer loyalty and then that'll just lead to lifetime value overall if you do do it correctly from the onset yeah it's it's really interesting listening to this right and and uh, I'm gonna come in here because I used to work in as people may or may not know I used to work in education you select students on marketing and it was, um, and still do a bit, a bit of this day, but 
it was always fascinating to me when we started talking about segmentation because we, you, we inevitably always start talking about mass market and you talk about Coca-Cola examples and the McDonald's and you sit there and go, yeah, it's a good example. Sorry to call you out on this, Rich. It's a good example. But even the likes of Coca-Cola don't, don't go, everybody's an addressable marketplace. Do you know what I mean? And they'll have different strategies in different countries. Like, they'll have different messaging, they'll have different targeting approaches, et cetera, because they'll have, like, different audiences engage in different ways. And I think, like, for me, wouldn't it be great if we all just had limitless budgets to just, like, target everybody and it'd be dead straightforward and dead simple and actually... By and large, what a lot of what we're talking about will become redundant because you could just turn around and go, right, we're going to do every channel to everybody and see what sticks. But that's not the way of marketing. Like the world that we live in is we've all got specific budgets, we've all got particular targets to hit. And just because you've got an addressable mark addressable market doesn't mean that they are your target market. Do you know what I mean? And I think there's like that's where we need to get to is there's all this basis for segmentation and we can talk, we're going to talk about psychographic, demographic, thermographic, like loads of these variables, which are great. But where we actually end up is is it's about identifying the people who are the most have the highest propensity to convert or engage with us as an organization, whatever that conversion is. And I think like once you start almost coming up with a hierarchy of segments and targets. That's where you start to get into is it's like, right, they're our primary audience. Our, our primary segment might be an engaged segment already or somebody that's working with us as a business already. So actually, it's a very different message and a very different approach. Therefore, if we then have a prospects audience, that's going to be, again, a prospect segment. They might be very different and, and again, different values. And I know we've talked about this in the past, but... It's really interesting for me when we talk about it because really segmentation is all about driving effectiveness and driving efficiency, like in your market and spend your market activity from my perspective. So I think it's it's easy to get carried away, like in the tactification of marketing at the expense of the sort of media strategic. And I think like a conversation I know we've had previously and we'll cover off next week is is like it's so easy in the world that we live in to get involved in the channel. You know, we can do this in the channel, we can target the channel, so therefore it's this channel. But actually, I guess the point I make is that's the wrong way around. You know, is just because you can target people in Facebook, is Facebook, for example, the right channel for you? And I think, like, that's where we need to take a step back and think about those strategic points. So I think we can all be a bit guilty of sometimes becoming a bit tactics-heavy. Um, but I guess, like... So what is needed for proper segmentation is, of course, a bit of data, research, and analysis. Like, And again, like I'm going to come to you, Rachel, on the ways that we can think about that and the different ideas around how we might start to build out that segmentation piece, not doing mass market, of course. I don't think it's any surprise that I'm going to say that it's multiple types of data. Like, There's not one answer there on what it is. So you've got like quantitative data, which is obviously the things that can be measured and counted. And then you've got your qualitative data, which is more about like how people feel, their response to things, what they care about, what motivates them. And I think the route that you have to go down with data will differ depending on what exactly you're trying to understand. So for example, if you are wanting to maximize an existing audience that you already have, like is that a customer base or a sector that you already currently deal with, it's a lot more, it's a lot easier to do research on these because you've got background info on them already. If you were wanting to take it into a new country or launch a new product line, for example, that's where it gets harder because 
um, you don't have a lot of data to begin with. And so therefore, where you start in that process will differ. So for example, if we did take the existing customer, you'd actually probably want to start with your quantitative data, like things that you can measure, because you're going to try and spot patterns in behavior. And then once you understand them that bit more, you'll then figure out what you can um, do to engage with them a bit further or what it really means to them. So for example, if you'd started with like quantitative data, you might want to look at things like their number of purchases, how frequently they engage with you and your website or are they part of your social community? And then you've got that pool of customers and then you might say, okay, now I'm going to do like real content, like um, real like sort of in-depth focus groups with say 20 of these customers and understand why they like the brand. You'd ask a lot more longer format questions, like what does this make you feel like? Why do you choose us versus this other brand, et cetera, et cetera. And so that then you get a really interesting idea of that audience and what a good brand loyal customer would look like. And therefore, you can then go and segment more on that, what it means to them. And you can tailor your creative, your messaging, everything that they would want to um, sort of why they like you in the first place to almost like sort of solid solidify that kind of brand loyalty. However, if you started with a new audience, the problem is you might not know anything about them to begin with, and you might have to find people who are potentially your new audience to get in front of. And that's where I feel like you need to start with qualitative data first to understand like their attitudes, their opinions, what social media do they consume most, where do they spend their time. I think that's the thing that's like um, really interesting when you've got no historic data to go off in the first place. You can't learn, and you have to first figure out the audience and then you can sort of map it to, okay, well, what size of the population does that cover? Therefore, what revenue, what return, what forecast do I think I can get off that audience? And like, what tactics am I deploying to get in front of them? So really, for me, the data is half and half, but the order that you do it is depending on the question that you're trying to answer. Um, yeah, just to sort of expand upon... Rachel's point but look at it from a slightly different lens sometimes you get this problem of where the brand or marketing team have gone uh, where do we start with this segmentation how do we get our initial sort of like um, variables and I think one of the techniques which we've used quite often is grab the marketing team grab the sales team grab the customer service team get them in a room I promise it's not always a bloodbath um, and ask them to make a list of all the variables that they think might be meaningful or actionable um, and this can be a super long list to start off with but and as you work through the process you'll start to sort of filter stuff out like if it's in a b2b context knowing star signs really isn't going to help us from a marketing perspective but knowing the seniority of particular people within an organization will probably be useful um, and that can be a really good starting point. And I say starting point because then there is a bit of a scientific approach to this, um, which we won't be able to cover off in this masterclass. But if you're thinking about where to start, get people who have got direct customer experience, client experience, get them in a room and just list out all the variables that you think could be used in a meaningful or actionable way.
Yeah, and I think that sort of brings us nicely. I think by looking at the the internal aspect, it's like there's multiple data sources, there's multiple sort of data sets that you can engage with, and I do think it's about sort of pulling those out. And I think that one of the things that we'll talk about, and Harriet, be good to get your view on this, will be like personas. Do you know what I mean? Because we often talk about the output of really segmentation being personas that we can then target. So, like, what do we do around that? Yeah, personas are obviously like massive and you can do it in multiple different ways. But the main purpose of using them is obviously to sort of draw insight about your audience, such as sort of the content they're consuming, where are they over indexing, and even things as detailed as like their main priorities in life, their objections, what they actually believe in, and even sort of how they are buying services or products online. Um, And that's ultimately going to allow you to determine a customer base who share similar goals, behaviours and motivations. Um, Internally, we use tools like YouGov and Global Web Index to help us build these. And then that really helps you start segmenting out all that information, putting them together in pools of people. And that's transferable into your digital activity, whether that's via paid social or search. You can easily start segmenting them across different channels. Um, And I think... Moving on from that, sort of, once you have established that, you know who they are and you know where they do over-index, getting a testing plan ready for when you do start implementing them is really important because you might not expect them to work straight away. You don't actually know how these segments are going to behave on each channel. So once you have sort of identified them, it's a good idea to test if you do have the means to do so. And like Rachel was saying, that's going to let you use live data to really understand which channels and audience segments are actually engaging with your brand across the entire funnel. So you're going to maximize your budget and use each channel to its full potential. Um, however, it is worth noting, as we know as marketers, like testing isn't just key at like the main campaign launch stage. You're going to want to also continuously test your segments as environments are ever-changing. And that just allows you to be as efficient as possible as time does go on, making sure that you sort of making sure you're getting rid of redundant channels or redundant segments and you are adapting as your consumer is also evolving. Yeah, I think like it's it's really important, isn't it, to continually test and not just treat. I think like the key for me here is not just treat segmentation as a one-off process, you know, that you do at the start of a project. Like I see that so many times where like basically people get sold strategy or they'll get bought into a, a sort of strategic plan over the course of a year and they'll do segmentation at the start and then proceed to then take no learnings over the duration of the the, 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 the whole the whole process. So I think like you know, one of the benefits of digital is you are getting that constant feedback and also the platforms in, in by the very nature and the insights that you can get will be dynamic. So what I'd always be suggesting is that you continuously review those and, and consider them over a period of time. I think like once you've got that understanding direction around sort of who and why people buy from you though, I think it's important that we look at some of the methods that you might or the basis for segmentation, if you like, and how they differ from one another. Like Akib, you gave the example there around knowing star sign probably doesn't matter in the B2B world. Um, it might, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Let's have a conversation about that. But I think like let's have a conversation around around like what types of segmentation there are, what practical tools you can use, and what's that actually mean in reality? So, Kim, I'll give you, I'll give you a chance to come in on this. Yeah, I mean, talking about practical advice, like I just want to talk about some of the watchouts when you are doing a segmentation exercise. Um, some of the pitfalls and bad practice which I've seen um, is do not confuse segments with stereotypes. 
to avoid like sweeping generalizations um you know old tesla drivers um i've got higher levels of environmental consciousness i can tell you for a fact they haven't um to like quite often when people are building personas and you know they can make assumptions so how do you avoid making assumptions and i think it goes back into sort of the quality of your data it doesn't mean having abundant data it's about whether it's from quality sources quant sources just make sure that it's good quality data harriet mentioned some of the tools which we use gwi and yougov etc expensive tools um but um they give us good quality robust data sets to use um another practical bit of advice which i want to give is when you have got your segments on a board, on a wall, on a piece of paper, whatever it is, if you can map against it some financial metrics, so your current uh, market share within those segments, that'll be super, super helpful. Um, the value and worth of those segments, quite often where I've seen marketers go wrong is they'll kind of go, we're going for segment A, B and C. If they haven't done the number crunching, even if you were to get 100% market share within those segments, you are not gonna hit your annual targets so just make sure that the numbers make sense in the first place. Um, another thing is just to map against its spillover effects, and this will kind of feed into targeting. So if you did some qual research and you found that when senior sales execs start buying beamers and driving beamers, the junior sales execs start buying, buying beamers too. When it comes to targeting, you might be able to be a little bit clever with your budget and target the senior guys, knowing that that will influence the junior guys. Um, and I think the financial metric stuff is about speaking the language of the boardroom. You want to be able to confidently go into the boardroom to the CEO and say, if we hit X, 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 X segment, we are going to hit smash our targets for this year. Um, and I think there's massive value in that. I think, Akeem, I think there was something that you said earlier on, which I think is super important. I know that often when we get together um, as a team, you'll always kind of challenge the team on that. But I think for me, one of the most important things before we kind of move into the different kinds of segments is, is the concept of meaningful segmentation. And I think because we do have an abundance of data and, you know, we can go forever and ever through the whole research phase, I think it's ensuring that all of the segmentation that you carry out, like, is aligned exactly with what you're actually trying to achieve because you can build irrelevant segments or you can build irrelevant information within a segment that when you chuck it down the line, Harriet, you start trying to action that in channel, it doesn't change anything. You know, it isn't, it is not actionable. So I think that's one of the biggest pitfalls or something that everybody's guilty of is like getting super excited about knowing as much about your consumer or your the, the, the account that you're trying to target and losing sight of what you're actually trying to achieve. Um, and I think, you know, you, you've, you've hung on to it a couple of times there, but for me, I think that's something that, you know, challenge the segments, you know, once you, okay, is that actionable? Is it meaningful? And it should it be there? Because sometimes you can kind of, not go down the garden path, but you can get a bit lost in data. Yeah. I mean, I've always found that seg good segmentation usually has one of two implications, either on the messaging or either on the media. It's like these two things, like yeah. don't like jump ahead and go to your targeting positioning whilst you're doing segmentations. But at the back of your mind, good segmentation should have an impact on one of these two things. And I didn't come in on point one because we'd end up arguing and not get to the end of it. But I'm kind of with David Norris in terms of actually segmentation and mass marketing. Is there, There's elements of both, but we'll end up falling out. So let's not. <laughs> <laughs> no, not on here. 
not on here. <laughs> right. And then, I guess they wanted to just look at some of the variables for fragmentation. So we talked about like demographic, site graphic, photographic, like these are terms I'm conscious we throw out there and, and people need to be aware of things. But like Harry, I'm going to come at you first, talk to me about demographic, and then I'm going to ask you to do psychographic as well and what that actually means and, and how we might draw upon that. In terms of like obviously implementing your segments into targetable customer profiles on platforms, demographic segmentation and psychographic segmentation are probably the two main areas that you are going to look at because they are probably the most transferable segments. Obviously, demographic being things like age, gender, income, education, psychographic being things like your personality, values, interests, lifestyles. And they are obviously both really good things to sort of put personas together, like I said. Um, and like gathering that type of data is pretty easy. Like we've mentioned, you can use Global Web Index or YouGov a bit more broadly, but you need to sort of understand, right, you've got your personas, you know where they're over-indexing, you know what channels you want to use. You need to then go in those channels and sort of understand the limitations of them. So, for example, the things that you can target on LinkedIn are so different to the things you can target on Facebook. So segmentation and targeting do come hand in hand, but you just need to make sure from the onset you're using those different segments to become aware of where you can target your personas across the funnel and across your different channels. So using LinkedIn and Facebook and things like that, um, they have really good inbuilt sort of targeting options. So I recommend sort of going in, having a play, like actually building a campaign out. It helps you sort of understand who is targetable where. Yeah, I think like coming in on that, Harry, I often sort of the advice I give is even if you're not going to use Facebook and LinkedIn, for example, as channels, I think like, almost use them as databases, you know, because when we are trying to run some of this, the targeting activity in other channels, like there might be insights in there. I mean, like Facebook has 2 billion people signed up to it. So in reality, it's probably the world's biggest database on, in terms of consumer insights. So again, like don't be shy to, to sort of mix and match across different different channels to get the data and get the information in different ways that you can then, that you can then consider, I think is, is really important. I think, like, when it comes to B2B marketing, I always think, like, firmographics, absolutely essential. And, and I know we talk about this as a, as a digital agency, um, service provider to businesses. So, like, Rachel, firmographic, why does it matter and why is it something that if you're in the B2B space should be absolutely all over? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because kind of what you tend to find in digital B2B kind of, struggles a little bit more it's not as easy and I think that's where this firmographic segmentation really helps because it's not so much that you're trying to look at like interests you need to target by industry you need to target by job title by sector um, by sort of I guess service that they offer and therefore the standard kind of stuff that Harriet's just talked about like demographics and psychographics doesn't really help us that much when we get to that B2B industry instead. So this is where firmographics really helps. This is all about like data, like I said, that helps you define your target markets. And it can include things like industry, the turnover of the company, um, what are their projected growth trends or what growth have they seen currently? Um, you know, like how big are they as a business? Do they have like, are they quite a small, like um, small enterprise or actually are they quite a large enterprise? Um, various things like that that might help you understand where they are in their business and you know ultimately it makes, allows you to make decisions on like is that a good 
<laughs> sorry, is that a good fit for you and your business as well? Um, and I think the reason that you don't hear about it as often is it's one of the more difficult ones to collect and utilize. There isn't one tool that exists that gives you all of this information. You actually have to go in, get this data from lots of different pockets. And like I know from like our experience and in media works, like I've spent a lot of time with our marketing team trying to do this like for us as a business because it isn't just one one size fits all to go and collect the data. It, it is a really time consuming piece of work. And I think that's probably why it gets neglected a little bit sometimes, I would say, or maybe isn't as favorable because it isn't as instant. You know, you can't get the data as fast. And actually, you have to take time building this up. Like, um, you know, it takes a lot of time to do that. But I do think it's really powerful information because you can then be super tar- like hyper-targeted on your audiences. So you, if you've got all of that data about different sectors, you can then go in and avoid a one-size-fits-all approach and really sort of pinpoint the challenges. You might know in this sector, with being this new to market and with this sort of employee size, the message that you should be communicating to them is X. And that really helps because then the businesses feel like you understand them. And I think that gives them more like appropriate solutions rather than just kind of saying, okay, well, everyone in this sector, we're just going to talk to you in the exact same way. I don't think that helps. But if you can be hyper-targeted and address their pain points, it catches their eye a bit more um, than say just that mass, like that like sort of blanket message that you would pass out to them instead. And then, and then, like geographic segmentation. Following up, following up on that, Kim. Yeah, not as sexy as psychographical behavioural, but it can still be just as powerful. Um, and I'll give you an example of that. Um, we recently analysed a pretty extensive data set by postcode because it correlated with garden water usage, and our comms or marketing objective was to try and persuade people to use less water. So knowing where the worst offenders live allowed us to target outcomes accordingly. Sounds pretty sinister, right? But it wasn't, I can reassure you. Yeah, I think like, look, it does matter, doesn't it? Geographic segmentation, like, I think it's often, I appreciate it isn't as sexy as some of the other areas we've talked about, but I don't know many businesses that aren't geographically constrained in some way, shape or form, like whether it be... On a, on a national basis, do you know what I mean? Or whether it be sort of regional pockets, except like most of the businesses that I've ever dealt with do have some geographical constraints to them. You know, it used to always wind me up again going back to my teaching days where students would say, well, Tesco target everyone. And I'd be like, well, they're not very, very big in France. You know, and it'd be like, you know, let's think about even the bigger businesses that we're aware of. Like, let's think about how that segmentation can overlay. I think it's, David, I think it's such an interesting point in terms of what we're not seeing here is there's only one way to segment. And actually, if you layer all of these things all up, you're going to end up with some really powerful segments because, you know, value segmentation, understanding who is your valuable customer, and that could be geographical, it could be um, sector-based, it could be based on a pain point, it could be based on a product that you have. So I think there are so many facets to segmentation, but I think this is just trying to give people an understanding of, like, finding the ones that are going to more tightly align with the objective like as a kid said there it's about reducing the consumption of water within a particular region right okay let's dig into that and understand what segment is going to be most valuable for that campaign it's definitely a certain postcode you know so i think it's 
it's about overlaying all of the, Rachel said it, the more data points she has, the more powerful her segmentation can be. So I think it's, it's, it's about overlaying different facets of these. Agreed. And then the final one that I just want to touch on, which is often not used, I think, like the others, we're probably all aware of, or, or like because the platforms often lend lead you down this route, regardless of whether you're aware that you are using geographic or behavioral, uh, sorry, psychographic segmentation. But behavioral segmentation, Rachel, like is often it's like it's a bit overlooked, but it, the the impact can be massive, can't it? When you start considering behaviors, definitely. I think. Each channel uses it in very small pockets for a pain point, but doesn't. no one really takes that step back and figures out, okay, how can it be used at multiple steps across the journey? So, for example, behavioural is actually quite common. It's like, okay, what are the similarities that groups are um, doing on your website? Like what audience or how are they interacting with you as a brand? And this might be things like um, in terms of like the pages that they visit, the products that they're purchasing, um, the type of media that they consume or, you know, whether they prefer to use the app or the website, like those sort of similarities are what's really important. And you do see it in tiny pockets, like I suppose, uh, especially in e-commerce to help boost revenue, for example, like if someone added a product to bag, um, to basket and didn't check out, that is a remarkable part that we instantly go back to and say, are you sure you don't want to purchase this? So there's like some behavioral bits that are really commonly used, but then there's like more generic things that you could do, like just website personalization and customization for them. And just like, you know, whether it's changing your carousel image to be relevant to the sector that they came from or to change the on-site copy to kind of um, like match the key messaging that's important to that audience type. There's lots of little ways that you could make um, that sort of change. And it's all around understanding their behaviors and what they want from you or what they've currently engaged with on your website. And then you've also got it where you could do it like um, quite data driven as well. So you could, we've got the personalization bit, which just helps improve that customer experience. And also it isn't really a channel focus. It's more of just, a, again, that experience that you're serving the customer but then you've got like the research that you could do, which is all around like customer retention or lifetime value. And you could look at traits and patterns that um, sort of group audiences similar together because they are they are really like engaged with you as a brand or actually they spend 10 times more than the average customer with you. And that would really help drive and sort of finding those new groups of audiences that display similar patterns to those of, who have a high lifetime value for you. So actually there's like very small things you can do and it isn't necessarily having to be channel specific. It's more like sort of encouraging a group of like the same group of audiences or sort of like using the data that you've already got to support them in their journey and with you as a, like as a business. Yeah, I think like... I think Andy sort of touched on this. For me, where this starts to get really powerful is when you start laying ver layering variables on top of each other. I think, like, you know, it'd be really rare if I sat me and Harriet were having a conversation and, I, and we went, right, this client wants to target everybody in the UK. I think, like, we'd probably feel uncomfortable that, with that in terms of how effective it's going to be, how, like, the amount of wastage that would be in there. But then if we started to break it down and say, right, it's actually everybody who is interested in this or everybody who's, um, 
you know, is in a business of this size, I think that then becomes starts to become more interesting and what we would sort of more link in terms of segmentation. And I think like you can't overlook the the quality that you can get to when you do start layering. And I know we talked, we worked on a project around data reach a long time ago now, um, looking at lifetime value for a customer and really sort of understanding that whole lifetime value piece. And therefore, who were customers that we wanted to acquire versus those people that would buy once and never return, you know, thinking about factors like that and then building that into your segments and profiles as you move forward and your personas is, is, is really important. It, it is. I think that gets back to bullet point one, David, and makes us laugh a little bit. But imagine, though, just imagine someone said, I want to target nearly everybody in the UK. There would still be some element of segmentation to try and make it an effective campaign, wouldn't there? Because one product means different people, different things to different people. And there might be different pain points that it's going to solve. There might be different reasons to buy. There might be different stages in their life when they would, when they would need it. It would be quite a campaign, mind. Yeah, but it's interesting, isn't it? Like listening to you, you're going through the process there, aren't you? Do you know what I mean? Like you've literally spent 15 seconds walking us through the process that you go through. Like if you hear, we're going to target nearly everybody in the UK, like you then start to whittle it down and distill that information and it wouldn't end up, we wouldn't end up running that campaign. We would end up probably running like a campaign that covers those people, but through actual discrete campaigns around like what messaging are the, uh, those different people getting at what time, through which channels, through which media, etc. So I think it does get quite interesting. 100% like electric, I mean, I can mention electric cars, which is such a fascinating one, because let's just say 2025, going towards 2030, everybody needs an electric car. That's just the, the way that it's going to go. So we are going to have to have some pretty broad messaging around electric cars. But actually, again, what Akib said is, 80% of people that drive electric cars do not care about the environment. It's about do they still look aesthetically great? Is it still the performance aspect? So within that vehicle, you're still going to have need reliability, performance, and um, the environmental impact. So it is still even on broad, big, you know, big markets, broad products kind of coverage, you still do need it. So I, I can't help but break it down. And yeah. okay, well, how would I do that? Though, just in case you gave me that crazy brief of talk to everybody in the UK. No. No, I agree. And I do think it's like so important. Like it's really interesting to hear you talk through that as a process. It's like because that's the way you've got to operate, I think, in, in, in the world that we're in. So I guess like final question I've got is is then like once you've done this, like and you've been through the process and you've started to break your audiences down and you've done everything that Andy's just talked about and the guys have just the sort of have given information on is how can a company then effectively measure the success of its segmentation targeting strategies like, and then make the necessary adjustments? Because I know I said it right at the beginning, but you can't just sit on this and hope it plays out and we get the result at the end. Like that, That's the equivalent of like having a football team, setting them out on the pitch and then like not coaching on the sideline and not changing any tactics at our time and just seeing what happens. So it's like, it's like uh, Rachel, I'm going to come to you first on this. Like, How do you think we measure like effective segmentation? Yeah, so it's really um, interesting because I'm going to be super annoying and tell you that there isn't one methodology because it really depends on what the whole reason of doing the segmentation was in the first place. So sometimes you just need to generate awareness and therefore, like everyone, like in business, we always want to tie things back to pounds and pens. Like that is the most important thing because that means we can show success but actually we know that that isn't always the case. Sometimes that awareness and that reach 
is more important than ever before if it's a brand new audience that we've never even you know if it's a brand new market that we've never even tried to kind of open that door on so I think it is really entirely dependent on the reason for doing this in the first place and the methods that you've used so to find out your segmentations what tactics did you actually deploy afterwards because you know and I'm with Harry being in paid social I'm sure she can um, sort of attest to this a lot of lot of the time it's not around a return on investment metric it is a reach or a frequency or impressions that is important in that instance so you have to take into account the tactics that you've deployed to make that change as well um but I think what that does kind of highlight is the importance of sort of defining those metrics at the start of the project like once you sort of thought of this question that you're trying to answer and you've started your segmentation what are you hoping this audience are going to move so you've defined this audience in this segment is it that you think this are high revenue drivers and therefore you're going to watch their number of purchases change or their average order values going to increase is it that it's a brand new audience and what you're going to hope is that they come onto the website and view more than two pages or um sign up to your newsletter like what is it that you're genuinely hoping that you think that segment can move and it isn't always going to be um revenue but if you have that defined at the start it's kind of easier to have that defined clarity at the end of whether it's been um, successful or not and I think <clears throat> in terms of driving those improvements I think benchmarking something we talk about quite a lot and it's really um important if you're trying to like improve performance because you can benchmark historic um sort of performance or run rate and agree on appropriate interview intervals to review this because like you say it's not one and done you have to keep reviewing it and refining it as it goes on so you need to agree when you're going to check in and make sure everything's moving and i think that's going to allow you to identify improvements and also the impact that you're going to see from that segmentation yeah just some more like sort of practical points as well in terms of being someone that's in channels all the time um like looking at Rachel's point of making sure that you do have those KPIs set is more so about making sure that you're treating each stage of the funnel appropriately like from a segmentation point of view I hope you have sort of defined different audiences at each stage of the funnel you're obviously going to be way broader if you want to drive that awareness than you are if you want to drive sort of direct return so just making sure that you do have defined goals as to what you actually want to see off the back of that and then an easy way to sort of look retrospectively on that have you made yourself a media plan when you did that initial segmentation so once you are looking at which audiences are performing and which channels are performing it's easy for you to go back and sort of just look at that and determine which points need moving around or which sort of can be broadened out and so just making sure that you are being practical and treating those stages of the funnel differently and that's segmentation from the beginning shouldn't be tracked the same throughout the run of your campaign you should sort of be monitoring that over time agreed I think it's a it's a really like it's a really interesting point that you've just made around like around that constant monitoring that evaluation that like what does it actually all mean for the business I guess I Kim, I want to come to you and sort of let you sort of finish us off in this section, if you like, and talk about like some pointers for accessing, uh, sorry, assessing good segmentation and what they actually include. 
Uh, well, if a client walked into one of our offices and said, this is my segmentation, um, there'd be a few things which I'd be looking at um, when looking at the quality of that segmentation. Um, so first thing is have they included the whole market? Um, one of the pitfalls that people often fall into is to look at it just purely through the lens of the company or brand or like we only usually play here let's divvy that up into different segments no absolutely not look at the whole market it's called market segmentation for a reason um, and then you can slice and dice accordingly um, i think another massive watch out is that can a customer belong to one set more than one segment if they can your segmentation is not very good um, so if customers can hop about between segments um, that's definitely not a good thing um, i think the other really important thing is the people you've got within a segment are they genuinely similar to one another and are they distinctively different to another segment that's something really really important if they're not as in if, the, if there's more similarities and differences merge them together you'll get more bang for your buck when it comes to targeting and doing your media stuff um, have you sized the segment and valued it correctly this is going to come back to then those you know annual targets that you've got to hit if you haven't done this correctly at this stage you're probably not going to hit your targets down the line um, and i think a really really good litmus test for whether your you know segmentation is any good is to grab someone from the sales team say to them come into the coloring in department as we're probably affectionately known um, and have a look at the segmentation. Do you recognize these segments? And you know, if you're a window manufacturer and you've got a sales team, et cetera, um, and they come into the marketing department and they look at your segments and they go, oh, yeah, I can think of particular customers immediately off the top of my head that would fall into that segment, into that segment, into that segment. Um, and then you know you've done a pretty solid job. No, thank you very much for that. That was like really, really interesting, guys. Like, I really enjoyed that and hopefully everybody else did. I always feel like I sit and scribble a lot during these um, these sessions because like, we always like to give people takeaways. And I've, I've actually just scribbled down one of your last points there, which was like, uh, which is where I'm going to start is, is start with the market, not your brand. I think it's a really interesting one. Like I think it's so much of the time people do start with their brand and where we've always played and we've always done this, and therefore this is our audience. But I think your point around it's called market segmentation for reasons really, really important. Um, so I think that's a that's a great first point. I think like going back to the beginning was like mass market in some ways is redundant. We all have budgets and segmentation and targeting is key in driving the effectiveness and efficiencies will be considered and ultimately judged against. Like, you know, we know that we're going to be targeted, we're going to be given sort of um, outcomes that we're expected to hit. And normally they'll be around how effective and how efficient the segmentation theme, I think, underpins a lot of everything else that we do. Third point would be understand all the data that you have access to. I think it's massive. I think so many people think of segmentation as a theoretical or a, or, or a, a yeah, theoretical or a hypothetical activity, but actually like bring it down into the data that you've got access to, not just a platform, but it could be the sales data that you've got or the historical trends that you've seen within your business. I think it's like really important and use that to inform the decision-making around segmentation. But ultimately, consider overlaying segmentation and variables to increase accuracy in targeting, like we talked about it. I don't think we'd ever really recommend just running a single variable from a segmentation perspective. I would say, like, I never like to see us go, right, we're going to use 
behavioral, firmographic, psychographic, demographic, geographic. I always think it could be a bit overcomplicated in some ways. And actually, you end up with like too small an addressable market that you can't really test and learn in. So I think it's like, but do think about at what point is your segmentation tight enough? And then finally, it was sort of um, do not see segmentation. I think we've talked about this as a one-off. Like, don't see this as a start of a project that we do segmentation and then we're set off on the right direction and, it's, and we're winning. Like, we know that along the way, there's going to be things that move. And actually, one of the keys to segmentation, as we've just talked about, is how do you use the data that you've got? Now, data isn't just about what you've got. It's about what you're getting, you know, and use that to inform, to attest and learn approach. So I think, like, there would be my five key takeaways from the day. It's brilliant to see how much everybody's actually stuck with this session um, from the people who signed up at the start, signed up now. That's brilliant. But remember, this is sort of part of a series. Um, so we're covering segmentation today. We've covered segmentation today. Next week, we're going to look at sort of the challenges between sort of managing long and short term and, and what that means and the balance between the tactics and activities that you might do. So we will be back next week. Um, I'll be back next week. So I look forward to seeing you all then. Thank you very much for your time today. Cheers, everyone. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. It's fine. It's fine.